Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to see that you are tuned in and uh, worshiping together with us. Let me get my notes ready. One thing I do want to announce is that based on the extension of the Stay Home, Stay Safe uh, directive uh, that expires on the 28th, we are believing and we are planning on resuming services in some manner the Sunday, May 31st. So the last Sunday of this month, we'll begin gathering together in um, all three of our locations, of course, Saturday night for Vine. Uh, we don't know exactly what that will look like. We have the next several weeks to figure that out. It will affect uh, everything that we do, but uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be sorting that out. Please uh, cooperate and uh, help as we um, uh, uh, find ways to gather back together and still do so in a way that is respectful of those uh, others in the room and as safe as we can. So we will be making more uh, communication available concerning how we'll uh, resume regular services. But we have something to look forward to, praise God. Uh, we are continuing uh, our series on the book of James called Living Exiled because it was written to Christians that were dispersed, that were literally exiled from their homes and scattered about all of um, the Near East and even up into parts of Europe. And so we can learn from this letter many principles that are applicable to living during difficult times. And today we are <coughs> uh, talking through the chapter 2, and you can find my notes as you see on the slide, uh, the notes for the service if you want to follow along, because I'm only putting the scriptures on the screen is at bit.ly uh, bit, uh, bit slash New Day Weekly Sermon. So there you go. Let's jump in. James chapter 2, first verse. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And this word favor, or in many translations, is, is put uh, partiality, or, or, or uh, favoritism, or respect of persons. It means, from one commentator or dictionary, it says, the fault of one who has respect of the outward circumstances of a person and not to their intrinsic merits, and so prefers as the more worthy one who is rich, high-born, or powerful, to another who does not have these qualities. So it's the idea that you favor one person for some outward uh, um, appearance or outward condition or aspect of their, their, per, uh, their life rather than uh, evaluating them based on their inner worth, their value, their intrinsic God-given worth. And the big idea that God is saying in this verse is that if we treat other people with any measure of inequality, it brings into question our faith. God is, in His Word, saying, listen, practicing favoritism or inequality questions the validity of our faith. And to me, that's a very, very, very strong, strong word. Partiality, though, or favoritism is ingrained in human nature. It, 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 we are born with it. It's part of that human aspect 
Uh, and, and anyone who, who isn't aware that they are in some ways favoring certain people over another is blind to something because it's, it's really hardwired into a, us as individuals and into societies. In fact, we're so surrounded by it, most people don't see it. It's kind of like fish don't, don't recognize the water because that's all they know. You know, you don't think about air or oxygen, but you depend on it every second of your life. And, and so cultural things influence us to the point where we're not even aware of it. Partiality is ingrained in the human nature, but when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we must crucify that part of our nature. And, and, and much of the gospel and much of the New Testament actually takes place in a society that was very, very di divided politically, religiously, uh, ethnically, extremely divided. And if we read through the gospel with the eyes of, of bringing unity and equality, you see it all throughout the New Testament that God's purpose was to bring into one humanity People from all ethnicities, all uh, 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 social economic levels, uh, all different uh, things that divide us. In Christ, we are called to be one. But if we continue to live in a way that shows favoritism, we violate this. And James hits this very, very uh, forwardly, very, very, uh, uh, really confronting it. Verse 2 through 7, he uses an example, actually several examples. But he says, for example... Boom. Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, eh, you can stand over there or, or sit here on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination, I'd like to point out that he uses the word discrimination, this is from the New Living Translation, Show that your judgments are guided by evil motives. Verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? So James's reference to the poor and using how we treat poor people differently than we treat people who, we, who appear wealthy uh, reflects Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Um, and so actually this whole letter is uh, almost follows the outline of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount in many ways. Uh, both the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James, the whole of Scripture, uh, turn the value system of the world upside down. What the world values highly, we need to not fall into that same trap. And God's system of valuing people is opposite to the world's system. Kingdom values are contrary to world's standards, and we're called to be representative of the kingdom of God. We're to be Christ's 
uh, representatives in the world. So that means we need to reflect his character when we interact with people. And how we treat rich people or people that we uh, assume are of high esteem versus those who are poor and needy is a key area that, sh- that gives us an opportunity to reflect Jesus's character. Rich versus poor is just one example of discrimination. That's the example that James used here, but it's the principle that applies. This truth can be applied to any area where we favor one person or a group of people over another if we do that in a way that's contrary to the uh, love that Jesus Christ exemplified in his life. So let's just consider a few other areas that may give us opportunity to, to show partiality or favoritism. How about race or ethnicity? I mean, this week we've been... Uh, If you've watched any media whatsoever, and I try to avoid as much as I can, but you can't avoid the story of the uh, tragic story of the young man in Georgia who was uh, hunted down and shot and uh, for jogging in a neighborhood maybe where he didn't live. And that is tragic. And that's just one example of hundreds and thousands that happen every day where just because people are of a different race or ethnicity, they're treated differently. And over my lifetime, I've realized personally, I assume that I am not racist, but yet I still have ingrained behavior patterns that I need to overcome and I need to own and I need to treat everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, as an equal before uh, Uh, God, because they are no better or worse than me, for sure. In fact, they're probably better. How about education? This is something that, uh, again, often is unrecognized. In Kalamazoo, this is a college town. We have a very high high rate of college-educated people. Nearly everyone in our city has gone to college to some degree, and many are college graduates. Our whole city is infused with professors and teachers, and that's great. I love that about our city. But if we begin to favor people of higher education and in any way disrespect people that are lower, have a lower education or don't reflect a way that, uh, of thinking or education that we are used to, that's a sin. That's showing partiality. Language. Um, How people talk, not only if they talk different languages, but even if they talk with an accent. It actually surprised me. I was with a group of spirit-filled, charismatic Christians. We all loved one another. We were all of the same group. (coughs) And we were um, with a tour. Actually, we were in Israel. And there was one family that was from Tennessee. (laughs) He was rather proud of his accent. And uh, uh, he was aware of it. But what surprised me is there was one time when we were, a a smaller group of us were eating separately. And one of the people said, boy, I wonder if they realize that whenever someone speaks like that, it comes across as being uneducated and and stupid. And I was actually kind of like, really? And I realized that's true. I mean, it's a truth that people perceive you as being highly educated or lowly educated because of an accent. 
Uh, and uh, I grew up on the east side of the state. I say some words differently than those on the west side. And even that small of difference. Create an opportunity where we may value someone lower because of their language. And that's, that's wrong. We need to realize that's just the way they grew up. How about some other things? He mentioned dress, but appearances are huge in our day. Uh, and we uh, evaluate people by how trendy or how fashionable they are. You know, it's okay not to prefer the way someone dresses, but if you judge them based on the way they dress, then you've crossed the line. How about height? It's interesting that taller people statistically will make more money, irregardless of any other factor of their life. I know. I've been shortchanged. <laughs> shortchanged. <laughs> Why? Why is this so? Because there's just this cultural dynamic that uh, the taller a, a person is, they, they command more respect, irregardless of their, uh, uh, of their moral character or anything else. Now, we don't want to um, devalue tall people, obviously, and the idea is that these things are hardwired into us. This is one I can speak to directly. Weight. Uh, since uh, I had, uh, since my child, early childhood, I've always had difficulty with weight. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth uh, between a range, but even when I'm not, even when I'm at my best level, I'm bigger than most people. <laughs> I'm very aware of that. Um, and I have noticed how people treat me differently. And uh, if you're not aware of that, it's probably because you're just so used to a system of evaluating people by their body image that you're just, you're just, you're not aware. You're not aware. You're so caught up in the system. It's something we need to be aware of and it's something we need to work against. Gender, of course, is an issue that people judge others by. Political stance. Again, we can disagree strongly with someone of a different political uh, belief, but we can't judge them. We can't evaluate their moral worth based on their political opinions. And there's a, a deeper truth that we need to address is that we don't show favoritism. Also, religious backgrounds and beliefs. One of the things that I've uh, benefited most from traveling the world and uh, staying in different countries for weeks or even a month or more at a time is that I've seen that people in everywhere the world, everywhere in the world, really struggle with the same issues. We truly are more similar than we are different. Even if it's a Muslim nation or a Buddhist nation, it doesn't matter. The issues, our core nature is the same. We struggle with the same things. We're seeing this right now when the whole world is, is facing this coronavirus. It doesn't matter. I just got a, a, a message from, our, from the Yurtis, John and Reagan in Peru, and here's a, a nation that is so unlike our nation in the middle of Peru in the jungle 
And they're struggling with the same issues we are. My friends in Japan, uh, a completely different culture, the same issues we are all over the world. We have the same issues. We can't judge people just because they have a different religious background or even believe different beliefs. We need to respect them and we need to treat them equally. It's not a sin to feel more comfortable around others that are more like us. That's okay. You normally and you naturally just feel more at home. You can interact more easily with people that are the most like you. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Celebrate that. What uh, becomes a problem is if you treat others who are different from you or different from those like you with any form of disrespect. And the Bible calls that sin. James 2, verse 8, in fact, says this, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Boom. You are guilty of breaking the law. There's no ambiguity there. And he's referring clearly to the royal law that Jesus referred to in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, uh, when uh, uh, someone uh, asked him this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all of the law? What's the most important? And Jesus answered, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, this was a very, very well-known command. It's called the Shema. Uh, and and uh, all Hebrews said, say this every single day, and it was a core part. And Jesus said, this is it. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he added, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So Jesus uh, uh, places how we treat others on the same level as how we relate to God. He says, they're one and the same. These two commandments, they're the, they're, they're the basis of every other commandment. Loving God and loving others are, is the most important things uh, we are called to do. And if we treat any way, anyone in a way that doesn't reflect the love of God, then we're committing sin. We're violating uh, God's law, but more importantly, we're violating God's character and we're violating the lifestyle that we're called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live. We're sinning, regardless, regardless of how right or wrong the other person is. That's not the issue. We must fully embrace our responsibility for our actions to not discriminate against others and to treat others differently because of outward appearances or personal preferences. We must own this. Okay? This, this is about us. This is about me. It has, has very little of nothing to do with the other person's appearance, stance, language, ethnicity, gender, uh, wealth. 
It's about what's going on in my heart. And that's the issue that the scripture is talking about. And this is the issue that deals with our level of accurately reflecting the character of God. Or in other words, our level of sanctification. Our level of being Christ-like. Being a Christ follower. Um, And you know, we are empowered to do this. We are empowered to become. This is the the message of the Gospels, that we are new creations. And so we can live differently than everyone else in the world that gets so upset and overwhelmed emotionally by people that are different from them. That we can respond like Christ. Can you imagine Jesus, eternal God, living in human body in the midst of a fallen... uh, human population everyone he encountered was vastly different from him all right because he was pure and righteous and so can you imagine how he felt emotionally you know when he knew the sins of every person that he encountered yet consistently he treated even the the, the most lowest people on the, on the social status, lepers and, 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 and prostitutes with respect. And we are to be Christ-like. We have the Spirit of Christ in us, so that gives us the power to do the same, to treat others with respect, regardless of the differences morally, ethically, ethnically, racially, economically, all of those differences fall away in the light of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love is the primary kingdom force that produces positive change in us. Uh, James in the earlier verse said, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or in Romans it talks about it's God's kindness or His love that leads to transformation or repentance. Um, and in Philippians, one of my favorite verses, uh, Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You can't, you can't show partiality of favoritism and disrespect to other people if you're constantly viewing the other person as better than yourself. That automatically positions you to honor everyone you're interacting with. And so my goal, and I'm not perfect at this, I fail at this every day, but my goal is that whoever I'm with is to treat them as though they're the most important person in the room. And so if I'm interacting with you, I'm I'm trying to respect what you say, to listen, and if if you were were, uh, the Queen of England or the President of the United States, I would hope to treat uh, uh, you no more differently than I would treat them. Why? Because we're all equal in God's eyes. <sighs> if we want to see real change in our communities, if we want to see real change in our generation, this is where it needs to start. We have to change here by treating others equally. James continues in verse 14. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show up by your actions? 
Can that kind of faith save anyone? This switches to the second half of the chapter. The first half had to do with partiality and favoritism. The second half has to do with faith versus work. So he says, What good is it if you say you have faith, but you don't show up by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? It's such a direct, this, this verse is such a direct contradiction or not contradiction, sorry, confrontation <laughs> of the truth restored in the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther and the other Reformers, that many of the Reformers, Martin Luther particularly, uh, questioned whether James was inspired, the book of James, and, and argued whether or not it should be removed from Scripture. Because this verse questions the key revelation of the Reformation, which is found in Ephesians chapter 2, 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone could boast. What had happened in Martin Luther's day, that they had so forgotten the message of grace that uh, salvation was actually accomplished primarily through works. I strongly recommend you read the biography of Martin Luther because it goes into great depth uh, of the condition of the church in his day where people literally could buy their way into heaven, or at least that's what the church taught, that they could, uh, by uh, purchasing, um, I forget the name of it, um, indulgences, <laughs> they, could, uh, they could be exempted from their sin. And that was so wrong, and, and other acts. Um, and so he was confronting that. <clears throat> um, and so we, we have to ask, you know, was, was James right, or was Paul right? <laughs> the truth is, uh, the whole of Scripture is correct. And there is a, an apparent contradiction here, but if you look deeply, it's actually the same truth is said in, in both scriptures. And I hope you'll see this as we continue on to the message. Uh, James chapter 2, uh, verse 15, it says, Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, de it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say to you, how, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble with terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So James gives us several examples in this passage of how this principle of faith and works work together. And the first is how we treat others who have genuine needs. Harkening back to how we treat the poor. It's not good enough just to be nice if we don't actually do something helpful. All right? We need to demonstrate by doing. Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead 
and useless. One commentator puts it this way. says, faith without works is unemployed. Yeah, I like that. It's like, well, it's there, but it's not doing anything. It's laid off, okay? And it's not productive. Faith needs to be working in ways that are visible, tangible, in order for it to be alive. Otherwise, it ends up being dead. The second example is the example of demons. You know, demonic uh, entities believe they had no quite. They were the first ones to confess faith in Jesus in the scriptures, but they didn't do it out of out of uh, uh, submission. They did it out of terror, and so faith in and of itself doesn't save demons. Believing truth doesn't save anyone if it's not followed by commitment to that truth and followed by actions that that demonstrate that you're living your life by that truth. The third example is the most powerful, and that is in verse 21 through 24. Says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions, by his actions, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, and not by faith alone. I don't know about you, but this gets me concerned. And I have to say that much, if not most, of evangelical Christian preaching so emphasizes the idea of intellectual assent, agreeing to a statement of faith as the only means of salvation, that I think the church often errs. And then that leads to Christians erring. Now, we, we've not gone as far as the uh, Roman church did in Martin Luther's time, but we fail to connect this very clear teaching of Scripture that faith without works is not good enough. We need to be demonstrating our faith by what we do. And this, this example of Abraham is really compelling because he's called the father of our faith. And it clearly shows that his faith was demonstrated by his actions. What would the story have been if Abraham heard God say, offer Isaac on the altar, and Abraham said, mm, no, I don't think so. What would have happened? He had that choice. He could have resisted. The story would be very different. I don't know what it would be. All I know is that Abraham obeyed. And as a result, it said he, God saw him as righteous and actually calls him his friend. Moses was called the friend of God. Abraham here is called the friend of God. Wouldn't you like to be called the friend of God? Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And so we can be a friend of God if we demonstrate our faith through our actions. 
I want to be God's friend. <laughs> I, I want him to hang out with me like a man hangs out and talks to his friend. And Paul actually agrees. There's no disagreement here because if you read the next verse from that passage in Ephesus, it says, we're saved by grace, but for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> so Paul emphasizes salvation comes through faith. In other words, all of our acts don't count if we don't have faith. You can't work your way into heaven. No way. James agrees with that. But on the flip side of that, you can believe whatever you want. If your actions don't demonstrate that you genuinely believe, you need to question your faith. Ah. The final example is verse 25. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. And just to remind you of this story, Rahab was a prostitute living in the city of Jericho. And when the Israelites were coming into the promised land, this is one of their first battles, and they had surrounded the city, and Rahab, uh, they had sent spies into the city. And Rahab was a prostitute, running a house of prostitution. But she uh, protected the spies and allowed them to escape out, her, out of her apartment and get away from the authorities that were looking for, him, for them. And they made a promise to her that if, they, if she, uh, I believe it was, uh, hung a red uh, cord out her door or window, they would spare her life and her family's life. And um, that's exactly what happened. And so here we have uh, another powerful example. What was her lifestyle? Was she like the Israelites? No, she was, she was different in every way, ethnically, racially, uh, morally. She was a prostitute living in a heathen uh, city that had declared themselves enemies of the people of God. But because of her actions... She was welcomed into, she was saved from the destruction of Jericho. And what's interesting is that her whole family were transformed. Let me read to you from a commentary about this. Rahab is referred to as being the wife of Salmon. Uh, this is later in, in Scripture. He was one of the two spies she sheltered. This is a great love story. Here's these two young men are, uh, uh, sneak into the city. You know, it's like uh, uh, a spy movie. <laughs> and a young guy, and, he, he, and this woman uh, protects him. And they fall in love because she helps them out. And he ends up marrying her. We don't know when, uh, how much later after, but she was welcomed into the Israeli community, the Hebrew uh, nation. And ended up marrying one of those spies. And even more than that, um, uh, uh, she became the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, whose son Obed, uh, Jesse, the father of David, came from. So 
She was actually ingrained into the genealogy of our Savior. Why? Because she acted based out of faith by doing something. That is a powerful, powerful example that actions bring life to faith in the same way that uh, breath brings life to a body. I'm going to close with this. What action is God calling you to today? All right. Now the first action that we're called to to respond to Jesus Christ is the act of repentance. Recognizing that our lifestyle may be, hopefully after even this message, you can recognize some behavior patterns that you need to change. You need to repent. And then confessing. If you've never done this, if you're watching this or hearing this message and realize you've never actually confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed your sins before Him and confessed Him as Lord and Savior. That's how you access the power of God to change your life and to live forever in His, uh, uh, with Him in heaven is to confess faith and confess your sins and confess Jesus as Lord, that you actually commit to living the rest of your life as His disciple. And then following that, obedience into baptism. Water baptism is the first act that we're called to after salvation and entering into a lifestyle of being joined with Christ and being joined with His people, the church. But then, what good work can you do as a demonstration of what you believe? And I'd like you just to take a minute. Now, even online here, we're going to do this. There's a few people in the room here, but you're at home Let's just pause for 15, 20 seconds and ask God, is there some behavior that you need to change that will better reflect faith? Is there some people or people group that you've been disrespecting for whatever reason that you need to learn how to love? Is there some way that you can demonstrate your faith so that other people see it It's got to be outward. So let's just take a moment and say, Lord, show me. We need to be able to hear God's voice. And even during this time of pandemic when we're socially isolated, there's still things we can do. I just read an article last night where the food banks all over the U.S. are at critical need because so many people are laid off. Um, So maybe you can donate food. Maybe you can submit to wearing a mask when you go into a grocery store as an act of love for those who may be at high risk, even though you may not. Maybe you can speak respectfully of those who are making decisions that you may disagree with because you love them. Some action that you can demonstrate that you're a different person so that others can see that your life has been transformed as much as Abraham's life was transformed or as much as Rahab's life was transformed. Well, God bless you. Thanks for coming.
Be sure to tune in uh, next week as we continue with chapter 3 of James. I'm going to ask Bill, Pastor Bill to end the service.